0: Listener supported. WNYC Studios.
1: What you're saying is so tasty. It's just, ooh, it's so specific. And every single word is chosen for a reason. It's never thrown together. I have left this production feeling like
2: Black Americans should be the ones doing Shakespeare from now <laughs> 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 You're welcome, America, again. <laughs>
3: This is Free Shakespeare on the Radio, from WNYC, in collaboration with the Public Theater. I'm Vincent Cunningham. This is Day 2 of Richard II. We're listening to the play together over four nights this week. If you want to read along to the play, go to wnyc.org Shakespeare to download a copy of the script. Often we come to Shakespeare with a bunch of preconceived notions— Especially around what the actors look like, what they sound a like.
0: A bit more on the word thought, so much as of a thought of Ill, and like, even Oh, even oh I thought, thought you saying of, take you it. it. Okay, got people it. People
3: like Andre Holland, who plays Richard II in our production, want to change that. I just want to
4: take away all the, like, just all the dust that's on the play, these received ideas we have about, like, how we have to revere the language, and it's meant to be this and that, and we have to come to it with a certain amount of intellectual understanding. No, man, it's just people who live in their lives, and I hope that That's what people who listen to the play take away from it.
3: Tonight, in addition to listening to the play together, we're going to talk a bit about language and voice and how the meaning of Shakespeare's words and what we take away from them have a lot to do with how they're spoken and who they're spoken by. Actor John Douglas Thompson is West Indian. Do you want them
5: faster? He says
3: he felt at home when he first encountered Shakespeare.
5: Building on the last. Exactly, exactly.
3: When I first started to look
5: at it, the rhythms of the language, the stories, the characters really reminded me of my own upbringing, particularly emotionally. They may not have been kings and queens and noblemans, but that really didn't matter. So what line... John's the Duke of York in our play. ...or just from line 110. And I heard those rhythms, you know, remembering my father hanging out with his friends in the backyard and the way they used to talk. I could tie it right back to my own heritage.
0: Uh, Can I hear just a little bit leading into it? You know, when
4: I think about Black people in the South, you know, we kind of naturally speak in this, like, iambic a kind of way at times.
3: Mm-hmm. That's Andre Holland again.
4: Like when I speak to my pops, for example, you know, i call down, man, you know, how you doing, man? How, you know, how's your day going? Uh, he might say, I can't kill nothing and look like won't nothing die. You know? <laughs> and <laughs> so when I when I hear, you know, when I read Shakespeare and it just sits in, in, my, in, in my mouth in a cool way, I think it just fits.
3: Uh, it, it feels I feel at home in it. And for Andre, having black people speak these roles might help others to feel at home, too. So what I hope is that the sound of our voices
4: saying these words um, will attract people who may otherwise um, have avoided it, you know what I mean? And maybe they'll hear something in it that that they connect to. Like if my grandmama turns on this, I mean, she's gone, God bless her, but like if my grandmother, when she was living, were to come into a theater and hear a play like this, she ought to understand what's going on. It it shouldn't be above her head, you know what I mean? Or so sophisticated that she can't find herself in it. And for me, if ordinary folk can't find them their way into a play like this, then to me the play ain't working, it's
3: a failure. And before we move on, a recap on our story so far.
6: Last night on Richard II.
0: You, Cousin Bolingbroke, on pain of life, till twice five summers have enriched our fields, shall not regret our fair dominions, but tread the stranger paths of banishment. Call it a travel that thou takes for pleasure,
1: My heart will sigh when I miscall it so, which finds it an enforced pilgrimage.
7: Come, come, my son, I'll bring thee on my way.
3: So now, episode two. We're in the hospital with Richard's dying uncle, Gaunt.
0: Yeah, the last time we saw Gaunt, he was saying goodbye to Bolingbroke, his son, who he thought he's never
8: going to see again. That's the Lee, the play's director. And his health got worse as a result of Bolingbroke being away. So what we're about to hear now is Gaunt on his deathbed
0: being
2: very, very explicit about how he feels about Richard, how he feels about the country. And I think Gaunt is there as a kind of soothsayer to say, if you lease out our country, that is the end of our power and our strength.
3: Mm. Professor Ayanna Thompson. Now, instead of following Gaunt's advice, Richard prepares to lead his forces into war. And to finance that effort, he claims the inheritance that Gaunt left for Bolingbroke as his own. There's no question that
5: there is something fundamentally wrong in Richard doing that.
3: Shakespeare scholar Jim Shapiro
5: but there's another truth in this play, which is powerful people can rob the less powerful with impunity right. Richard's problem is not that he takes Bolingbroke's money and uh houses in a state. The problem is he misjudged Bolingbroke's power to do something about it.
3: Now, some of Richard's men quickly change sides. Almost immediately, they change their loyalties to Bolingbroke. But others, especially the Duke of York, struggle to navigate this new terrain. John Douglas Thompson, who you might remember we met earlier, he plays York. Let me just at least
5: finish the last two lines of my speech. His two nephews are rivals for the kingship. He has to support one because that's part of him being a loyalist, but then he also needs to support the other because that's his family. They're all family, essentially. And here he is now having to get out of the way of this new younger leadership or be mowed down by it.
3: And now, episode two of Richard II. The actors and the public theater dedicate this production to the Black Lives Matter movement.
6: is dying in hospital. He's waiting for his nephew, King Richard. For Richard, this visit is an obligation. He's more interested in his new military campaign. But for Gaunt, it's an opportunity to deliver a final message.
5: The king is come. Deal mildly with his youth, for young hot colts being rained, do rage the more.
9: Oh, um, how fares our noble uncle Lancaster.
0: What comfort, man, how is't with aged gaunt?
7: <laughs> oh, how that name befits my composition, old gaunt indeed, and gaunt in being old. <laughs> for sleeping England long time have I watched. Watching breeds leanness, leanness is all gaunt. Gaunt am I for the grave, gaunt as a grave, whose hollow womb inherits naught but bones. Can sick men play so nicely with their names? No, misery makes sport to mock itself. Since thou dost seek to kill my name in me, I mock my name, great king, to flatter thee. Should dying men
0: flatter with those that live?
7: No, no, men living flatter those that die. Thou now a dying, sayst thou flatterest me. Oh, no, thou diest, though I the sicker be.
0: I am in health. I breathe and see thee ill.
7: Now ah, he that made me knows I see thee ill. Ill in myself to see, and in thee seeing ill. Thy deathbed is no lesser than thy land, wherein thou liest in reputation sick. A thousand flatterers sit within thy crown, whose compass is no bigger than thy head. Oh, had thy grandsire with a prophet's eye seen how his son's son should destroy his sons, from forth thy reach he would have laid thy shame, deposing thee before thou wert possessed. Which are possessed now to depose thyself, landlord of England, art thou now not king, thy state of law is bond-slave to the law, and
0: th- a lunatic, lean-witted fool, <laughs> Presuming on an ague's privilege, darest, with thy frozen admonition make pale our cheek, chasing the royal blood with fury from his native residence. Now, by my seat's right royal majesty, were thou not brother to great Edward's son, this tongue that runs so roundly in thy head should run thy head from thy unreverent shoulders. Oh,
7: spare me not, my brother Edward's son. Join with the present sickness that I have, and thy unkindness be like crooked age to crop at once a too-long withered flower. (laughs) Live in thy shame. But die not shame with thee. These words hereafter thy tormentors be.
8: (laughs) Nurse. Nurse. No pulse. No warmth. No breath.
0: ripest fruit first falls so doth he his time is spent our pilgrimage must be so much for that now for our Irish wars we must supplant those rough rug-headed kerns and for these great affairs do ask some charge towards our assistance we do seize to us the plate, coin, revenues and movables whereof our uncle Gaunt. Did stand possessed.
5: How long shall I be patient? Not Gloucester's death, nor Bolingbroke's banishment, nor Gaunt's rebukes, nor England's private wrongs have ever made me sour my patient cheek or bend one wrinkle on my sovereign's face. I am the last of noble Edward's sons, of whom thy father, Prince of Wales, was first. In war was never lion raged more fierce, In peace was never gentle Lamb more mild Than was that young and princely gentleman. His face thou hast, for even so looked he, Accomplished with the number of thy hours. But when he frowned, it was against the French, And not against his friends. His noble hand did win what he did spend, And spent not that which his triumphant father's hand had won. His hands were guilty of no kindred blood, but bloody with the enemies of his kin. Oh, Richard! York is too far gone with grief, else he would never compare between. Why,
0: Uncle, what's the matter?
5: Seek you to seize and gripe into your hands the royalties and rights of banished Bolingbroke? Is not Gaunt dead, and doth not Bolingbroke live? Was not Gaunt just, and is not Harry true? Did not the one deserve to have an heir? Is not his heir a well-deserving son? Take Bolingbroke's rights away, and take from time his charters and customary rights. Let not tomorrow then ensue today. Be not thyself. For how art thou a king? But by fair sequence and succession. Now afore God, God forbid I say true, If you do wrongfully seize upon his rights, you pluck a thousand dangers on your head. You lose a thousand well-disposed hearts and prick my tender patience to those thoughts which
0: honor and allegiance cannot think. Think what you will. We seize into our hands his plate, his goods, his money, and his lands.
5: Uh, I'll not be by the while. My liege, farewell. What will ensue hereof, there's none can tell.
0: Go, Bushy. Repair for us to Ely House to see this business. Tomorrow next we will for Ireland, and tis time I trow. And we create, in absence of ourself, our Uncle York, Lord Governor of England. For he is just, and always loved us well. Come on, our Queen.
9: Tomorrow must we part.
0: Be merry, for our time of stay is short.
6: With the king and queen gone, the Earl of Northumberland has a private word with the other nobles.
10: Well, lords, Sir John of Gaunt
11: is dead. And living too, for now his son is duke.
8: Barely in title, not in revenues.
10: and Richly in both, if justice had a right
11: my heart is great but it must break with silence ere it be disburdened with a liberal tongue the
10: king is not himself but basely led by flatterers and what they will inform merely in hate against any of us all that will the king severely
11: prosecute against us our lives our children and our heirs the commons he hath pilled with grievous taxes and quite lost their hearts The nobles he had fined for ancient quarrels.
8: And daily new exactions are devised as blanks, benevolences, and I what not what. But what in God's name doth become of this?
10: Was it not wasted it, for ward he hath not, but basely yielded upon compromise that which his noble ancestors achieved with blows? More hath he spent
11: in peace than they in war. He hath not money for these Irish wars, his burden is taxations, notwithstanding, but by the robbing of the banished duke, his noble kinsman, oh, most degenerate king
10: <sighs> But, Lord, we hear this fearful tempest sing, yet seek no shelter to avoid the storm. We see the very rack that we must suffer, and unavoidable is the danger now., no, not so. Even through the hollow eyes of death I spy life, peering. But I dare not say how near the tidings
11: of our comfort is.
8: Nay, let us share thy thoughts as thou dost ours. Be
11: confident to speak, Northumberland. We three are but thyself, and speaking so, thy words are but as thoughts. Therefore, be bold. Then,
10: thus, I have received intelligence, that Harry Bolingbroke. Well furnished by the Duke of Brittany with eight tall ships, three thousand men of war are making hither with all due expedience and shortly mean to touch our northern shore. (sighs) If, then, we shall shake off our slavish yoke, imp out our drooping country's broken wing, redeem from broken pawn the blemished crown, wipe off the dust that hides our scepter's guilt, and make High Majesty look like itself, away with me in post to Ravensburg. But if you faint as fearing to do so, stay and be secret and myself will go. (laughs) To horse, to horse, urge
11: doubt to them that fear.
8: Hold out my horse and I will first be there.
6: We're in a royal garden, just after King Richard leaves for war. The Queen is here, with the King's friends Bushy, Bagot, and Green.
11: (sighs) Madam, your majesty is too much sad. You promised, when you parted with the King, to lay aside life-harming heaviness and entertain a cheerful disposition.
9: To please the King, I did. To please myself, I cannot do it. Yet I know no cause why I should welcome such a guest as grief, save bidding farewell to so sweet a guest as my sweet Richard. Yet again, methinks some unborn sorrow, ripe in fortune's womb, is coming towards me, and my inward soul, with nothing, trembles, at something it grieves more than with parting from my lord the king.
11: Each. Substance of a grief hath twenty shadows, Which shows, like grief itself, but is not so. For sorrow's eyes, glazed with blinding tears, Divides one thing entire to many objects, like perspectives, Which, rightly gazed upon, show nothing but confusion, Eyed awry, distinguish form. So, your sweet "'Majesty, looking awry upon your lord's departure, "'finds shapes of grief more than himself to wail, "'which, looked on as it is, is not, "'but shadows of what it is not. "'Then, thrice gracious queen, "'more than your lord's departure weep not, "'more is not seen, or, if it be, "'tis with false sorrow's eye, "'which, for things true, weeps things imaginary.'
9: It may be so, but yet my inward soul persuades me it is otherwise. God save
2: your majesty, and well met, gentlemen.
9: I hope the king has not yet shipped for Ireland. (laughs) Why hopest thou so? Tis better hope he is, for his designs crave haste, his haste good hope. Then wherefore dost thou hope he is not shipped? The banished Bolingbroke repeals himself And with uplifted arms is safe arrived
2: at Ravenspur Uh, And that is worse The Lord Northumberland, his son, young Hotspur With all their powerful friends are fled to him Why
11: have you not proclaimed Northumberland And all the rest revolted faction traitors?
2: We have Whereupon the Earl of Worcester hath broken his staff Resigned his stewardship And all the household servants fled with him to Bolingbroke
9: so, Green, thou art the midwife to my woe, and Bolingbroke my sorrow's dismal air. Now hath my soul brought forth her prodigy, and I, a gasping new-delivered mother, have woe to woe, sorrow to sorrow joined. Despair not, madam. Who shall hinder me? I will despair and be at enmity with cozening hope. He is a flatterer, A parasite, a keeper back of death, who gently would dissolve the bands of life, which false hope lingers in extremity. Here comes the Duke of York. With signs of war about his aged neck. Oh, uncle, for God's sake, speak comfortable words.
5: Comforts in heaven, and we are on the earth, where nothing lives but crosses, cares, and grief. Your husband, he has gone to save far off, whilst others come to make him lose at home. Now shall he try his friends that flattered him. My lord, your son is with the king. O Merle, why so? Go all which way it will. The nobles they are fled, the commons they are cold, and will, I fear, revolt to Bolingbroke. I know not what to do. I would to God the king had cut off my head with my brothers. Uh, uh, Bushy, are there no posts dispatched for Ireland? A Bagot, green, how shall we do for money for these wars? Uh You, fellow, get thee home, provide some carts, and bring away the armor that is there. Yes, my lord. Gentlemen, will you go muster men? If I know how or which way to order these affairs thus disorderly thrust into my hands, never believe me. Both are my kinsmen. The one is my sovereign. Whom both my oath and duty bids defend. The other again is my kinsman, whom the king hath wronged, whom conscience and my kindred bids to right. Uh, well, uh, somewhat we must do. Come, my queen, I'll dispose of you. Gentlemen, go muster up your men and meet me presently at Barclay
11: Castle.
6: With the queen and the Duke of York gone. The three friends have a private word.
11: The wind sits fair for news to go for Ireland, but none returns. For us to levy power proportionable to the enemy is all impossible.
8: Besides, our nearness to the king in love is near the hate of those love not the king. Mm
11: -hmm. And that is the wavering commons, for their love lies in their purses, and whoso empties them by so much fills their hearts with deadly hate, wherein the king stands generally condemned. If judgment lie in them, then so do we, because we ever have been near the king. Mm -hmm.
2: Well, I will for refuge straight to Bristow Castle.
11: Thither will I with you. Will you go along with us?
2: No, I will to Ireland. To
6: his majesty. Farewell. If hearts presages be not vain, we three here part that ne'er shall meet again. Bolingbroke has dared to return to gather his supporters. The Earl of Northumberland is one of them.
1: (sighs) How far is it, my lord, to Barclay now? Believe me, noble lord, I
10: am a stranger here in Gloucestershire. These high, wild hills and rough, uneven ways draws out our miles and makes them wearisome. Mm. And yet, your fair discourse hath been as sugar, making the hard ways sweet and
1: delectable. <laughs> <laughs> of much less value is my company than your good words. But who comes here? It is my son, sent from my brother
10: Worcester whensoever... Hotspur! How fair is my brother? I had thought, my
12: lord, to have learned his health of you. Why, is he, is he not with the queen? No, my good lord. He hath forsook the court broken his staff of office, and dispersed the household of the king. What was his reason? He was not so resolved when last we spake together. Because your lordship was proclaimed traitor. But he, my lord, is gone to Ravenspur to offer service to Henry Bolingbroke and sent me over by Barclay to discover what power the Duke of York had levied there. Have you forgot Henry Bolingbroke, boy? <laughs> no, my good lord, for that is not forgot which ne'er I did remember. To my knowledge, I never in my life did look on him. Then learn to know him now. Hmm. This is he. Uh, my. Uh, m- m- my. Gracious Lord, (laughs) I I tender you my service, such as it is, being tender, raw, and young, which elder days shall ripen and confirm to more prove its service and (laughs) deserve.
1: I thank thee, gentle Hotspur, and be sure I count myself in nothing else so happy as in a soul remembering my good friends, and as my fortune ripens with thy love, it shall be still thy true love's recompense. My heart this covenant makes, and my hand thus seals it. <laughs>
10: uh, how far is it to Barclay, and,
1: and what stir keeps old York
12: there with his men of war? There stands the castle by yon tuft of trees, manned with three hundred men, as I have heard. Here come the lords Ross and Willoughby, bloody with spurring,
1: fiery red with haste. Welcome, my lords. My lord. My lord. I won't your love pursues a banished traitor. All my treasury is yet but unfelt thanks, which, more enriched, shall be your love and labor's recompense.
11: Your presence makes us rich, most noble lord.
1: And
8: far surmounts our labor to attain it. Evermore
1: thanks the exchequer of the poor, which, till my infant fortune comes to years, stands for my bounty. But who comes here? My noble uncle, show me thy humble heart, and
5: not thy knee, whose duty is deceivable and false. My gracious uncle? Tut, tut! Grace me no grace, nor uncle me no uncle. I am no traitor's uncle, and that word grace, in an ungracious mouth, is but profane. Why? Have those banished, and forbidden legs dared once to touch a dust of England's ground? <laughs> Comest thou, because the anointed king is hence, why, foolish boy, the king is left behind, <laughs> and in my loyal bosom lies his power. Oh, were I but now lord of such hot youth as when brave gaunt, thy father and myself rescued the black prince, that young mars of men, from forth the ranks of many thousand French. Oh, then how quickly should this arm of mine chastise thee and minister
1: correction to thy fault. My gracious uncle, let me know my fault.
2: Hmm.
1: On what condition stands it and wherein? Even in condition
5: of the worst degree, in gross rebellion and detested treason. Thou art a banished man, and here art come before the expiration of thy time in braving arms against thy sovereign?
1: As I was banished, I was banished, Hereford. But as I come, I come for Lancaster. And, noble uncle, I beseech your grace. Look on my wrongs with an indifferent eye. You are my father. For methinks in you I see old God alive. Oh, then, my father, will you permit that I shall stand condemned? A wandering vagabond, my rights and royalties plucked from my arms perforce and given away to upstart unthrifts? Wherefore was I born? If that my cousin, king, be king in England, it must be granted. I am Duke of Lancaster. You have a son. O oh, Merle, my noble cousin, had you first died and he been thus tried down, he should have found his uncle Gaunt, a father, to rouse his wrongs and chase them to the bay. My father's goods are all distrained and sold, and these and all are all amiss misemployed. What would you have me do? Hm? I am a subject, and I challenge law. Attorneys are denied me. And therefore, personally, I lay my claim to my inheritance of free descent.
10: The noble duke hath been too much abused. It stands your grace upon to do him right. My lords
5: of England, let me tell you this. I have had feeling of my nephew's wrongs and labored all I could to do him right. But in this kind to come, in braving arms, be his own carver, and cut out his way to find out right with wrong, it may not be. And you that do abet him in this kind cherish rebellion, and are rebels all. The noble
10: duke hath sworn his coming is but for his own, and for the right of that we all have strongly sworn to give him aid. Ha!
5: <laughs> ah! Well, well, I see the issue of these arms. I cannot mend it, I must needs confess, because my power is weak. And all ill left. But if I could, by him that gave me life, I would attach you all and make you stoop unto the sovereign mercy of the king. But since I cannot, be it known unto you, I do remain as neuter. So fare you well. Unless you please to enter in the castle and there repose you for this night.
1: An offer, uncle that we will accept. But we must win your grace to go with us to Bristol Castle, which they say is held by Bushy, Baggett, and their accomplices, the caterpillars of the commonwealth, which I have sworn to weed and pluck away. It may be I
5: will go with you, but yet I'll pause, for I am loath to break our country's laws. Nor friends nor foes to me welcome you are, Things past redress are now with me past care.
6: King Richard was due back from the war by now, but there's no sign of him. His troops are uneasy.
11: Stay yet another day, thou trusty Welshman. My lord of Salisbury, we have stayed ten days and hardly
8: kept our countrymen together, and yet we hear no tidings from the king. Therefore we will disperse ourselves. Farewell. The king reposeth
11: all his confidence in thee. Tis
8: thought the king is dead. We will not stay. The trees in our country are all withered, and meteors fright the fixed stars of heaven. The pale-faced moon looks bloody on the earth, and lean-looked prophets whisper fearful change. These signs forerun the death or fall of kings. Farewell. Our countrymen are gone and fled, as well assured Richard the king is dead.
11: Ah, Richard, with the eyes of heavy mind I see thy glory, like a shooting star, fall to the base earth from the firmament. My friends are fled to wait upon thy foes, and crossly to thy good all fortune goes. My sun sets weeping in the lowly west, witnessing storms to come, woe and unrest.
3: You're listening to Free Shakespeare on the Radio from WNYC in collaboration with the Public Theater. Richard II will be back in a moment. I'm Vincent Cunningham. You're listening to Free Shakespeare on the Radio from WNYC in collaboration with the Public Theater. We return now to Richard II.
6: Bolingbroke continues his march to power. He captures two of King Richard's closest friends,
1: Bring forth these men. <laughs> Bushy and green, I will not vex your souls, since presently your souls must part your bodies, with too much urging your pernicious lives, for twere no charity. Yet to wash your blood from off my hands, here in the view of men, I will unfold some causes of your deaths. You have misled a prince, a royal king, myself a prince by fortune of my birth, near to the king in blood and near in love till you did make him misinterpret me, have stooped my neck under your injuries and sighed my English breath in foreign clouds, eating the bitter bread of banishment whilst you have fed upon my signories, leaving me no sign save men's opinions and my living blood to show the world I am a gentleman. This and much more, much more than twice all
11: this, condemns you to the death. More welcome is the stroke of death to me than Bolingbroke to England. Lords, farewell.
2: My comfort is that heaven will take our souls and plague injustice with the pains of hell.
1: My lord Northumberland, see them dispatched. Uncle. You say the queen is at your house. For God's sake, fairly, let her be entreated. Tell her I send to her my kind commends. Take special care, my greetings be delivered.
5: A gentleman of mine I have dispatched with letter of your love to her at large. Thanks, gentle uncle.
1: Come, lords, away, to fight with Glendower and his accomplices. A while to work and after holiday,
6: King Richard. With his cousin Omerle and the Bishop of Carlisle, finally returns home from the war. He's met with very bad news.
7: Ah, <sighs> uh, Brooks Your Grace the air after your late tossing on the breaking seas.
0: Needs must I like it well. <laughs> I, I weep for joy to stand upon my kingdom once again. <laughs> oh, dear Earth, I do salute thee with my hand. Though revels wound thee with their horses' hooves, As a long-parted mother with her child Plays fondly with her tears and smiles in meeting, So weeping, smiling, greet I thee, my earth, And do thee favours with my royal hands. Feed not thy sovereign's foe, my gentle earth, Yield stinging nettles to mine enemies, And when they from thy bosom pluck a flower, Guard it, I pray thee, with a lurking adder, whose double tongue may with a mortal touch throw death upon thy sovereign's enemies. Oh, mock not my senseless conjuration, lords. This earth shall have a feeling, and these stones prove armed soldiers ere her native king shall falter under foul rebellion's arms.
12: Fear not, my lord. The power that have made you king have power to keep you king, in spite of all.
7: My lord, we are remiss, whilst Bolingbroke, through our security, grows
11: strong and great in substance and in power.
0: (laughs) Oh, discomfortable cousin. Knowest thou not that when the searching eye of heaven is hid behind the globe that lights the lower world, Then thieves and robbers range abroad, unseen, in murders and in outrage, boldly here. But when from under this terrestrial ball he fires the proud tops of the eastern pines and darts his light through every guilty hole, then murders, treasons, and detested sins, the cloak of night being plucked from off their backs, stand bare and naked, trembling at themselves. So when this thief This traitor, Bolingbroke, who all this while hath reveled in the night whilst we were wandering with the Antipodes, shall see us rising in our throne, the East. His treasons will sit blushing on his face, not able to endure the sight of day, but self-affrighted tremble at his sin. Not all the water in the rough, rude sea can wash the balm off from an anointed king. The breath of worldly men cannot depose the deputy elected by the Lord. For every man that Bolingbroke hath pressed to lift shrewd steel against our golden crown, God, for his Richard hath in heavenly pay a glorious angel. Then if angels fight, oh, weak men must fall, for heaven still guards the right. Welcome, my lord. My liege. How far off lies your power?
11: nor near, nor farther off, my gracious Lord, than this weak arm. One day too late, I fear me, noble Lord, hath clouded all thy happy days on earth. Today, today, unhappy day too late,
0: o'erthrows thy joys, friends, fortune, and thy state. For all the Welshmen, hearing that were dead, are gone to Bolingbroke, dispersed and fled.
10: I'll comfort, my liege, why looks your grace so pale?
0: But now the blood of twenty thousand men did triumph in my face, and, and they are fled. Until so much blood dither come again, have I not reason to look pale and dead.
7: Comfort, my liege, remember who
0: you are. I have forgotten myself, am I not king? Awake, thou coward majesty, thou sleeps. It is not the king's name, twenty thousand names? Arm, arm, my name. A puny subject strikes at thy great glory. I know my uncle York hath power enough to serve our turn. But who comes here?
8: More health and happiness betide my liege than can my care-tuned tongue deliver him.
0: And mine ear is open and my heart prepared. The worst is worldly loss thou canst unfold, say, is my kingdom lost? Why, t'was my care, and what loss is it to be rid of care? Strives Bolingbroke to be as great as we, greater he shall not be. If he serve God, we'll serve him too and be his fellow. So revolt our subjects. That we cannot mend. They break their faith to God as well as us.
8: Glad am I that your highness is so armed to bear the tidings of calamity. Like an unseasonable stormy day which makes the silver rivers drown their shores. So high above his limits swells the rage of Bolingbroke covering your fearful land with hard, bright steel and hearts harder than steel, both young and old rebel. And all goes worse than I have power to tell. Too
0: well, too well thou tellst the tale so ill. Where is Baggett? Huh? What, what, what has become of Bushy? Where is Green? That they have let the dangerous enemy measure our confines with such, such peaceful steps? If we prevail, their heads shall pay for it. I warrant they have made peace with Bolingbroke.
8: Peace have they made with him indeed, my lord. Ah, oh, villains! Vipers damned without
0: redemption! Dogs easily won to fawn on any man! Snakes in my heart, blood warmed that sting my heart! Three Judases, each one thrice worse than Judas! Would they make peace? Terrible hell. Make war upon their spotted
8: souls for this. Their peace is made with heads, not with hands. Those whom you curse have felt the worst of death's destroying wound and lie full low, graved in the hollow ground.
7: Are Green and Bushy dead?
8: I, both of them at Bristow, lost their heads. Where is the Duke, my father, with his power?
0: No matter where, of comfort, no man speak. Let's talk of graves. Of worms and epitaphs. Make dust our paper and with rainy eyes. Write sorrow on the bosom of the earth. Let's choose executors and talk of wills. And yet not so. For what can we bequeath save our deposed bodies to the ground? Our lands, our lives, and all are bowling brooks. And nothing can we call our own but death. For God's sake, let, let us sit upon the ground and tell sad stories of the death of kings. How some have been deposed, some slain in war, some haunted by the ghosts they have deposed, some poisoned by their wives, some sleeping, killed, all murdered. For within the hollow crown, that rounds the mortal temples of a king Keeps death his court, and there the antic sits, Scoffing his state and grinning at his pomp, Allowing him a breath, a little scene to monarchize, Be feared and killed with looks, Infusing him with self and vain conceit, As if this flesh, which walls about our life, Were brass, impregnable, and humored thus, Comes at the last, and with a, a, a little tin Bores through his castle wall. And farewell, king. (laughs) Cover your heads, and mock not flesh and blood with solemn reverence. Throw away respect, tradition, Form and ceremonious duty for you have but mistook me all this while. I live with bread like you, feel want, taste grief, need friends. Subjected thus, how can you say to me, I am a king?
12: My lord, wise men ne'er sit and wail their woes, but presently prevent the ways to wail.
7: My father hath a power. Inquire of him, and learn to make a body of a limb.
0: Thou chidest me well. Proud Bolingbroke, I come to change blows with thee for our day of doom. (laughs) This ague fit of fear is overblown. An easy task it is to win our own. Say, Scroop, where lies our uncle with his power? Speak sweetly, man, although thy looks be sour.
8: I play the torturer by small and small, to lengthen out the worst that must be spoken. Your uncle York is joined with Bolingbroke, and all your northern castles yielded up, and all your southern gentlemen in arms upon his party.
0: Thou... Hast said enough. Beshrew thee, O Merle, which did lead me forth of that sweet way I was into despair. What say you now, hm? What comfort have we now? By heaven I'll hate him everlastingly that bids me be of comfort any more. That power I have discharged. Let no man speak again to alter this, for counsel is but vain.
7: My liege, one word. He
0: does me double wrong. That wounds
5: me with the flatteries of his tongue.
0: Discharge my followers, let them hence away. From Richard's night to
12: Bolingbroke's fair day.
3: That was episode two of Richard the Second. Now we're going to dive deep on the language of Shakespeare. We'll talk with Miriam A. Hyman, who plays Bolingbroke. But first, we're checking back in with Ayana Thompson. Ayana teaches English, but also advises theaters about how best to navigate putting on Shakespeare plays today. You know, some people call it colorblind casting. I've, I've heard that you prefer What is the the term that we...
2: Well, I I mean, I think it either color-conscious casting or some people like to call it new traditional.
3: (laughs) (laughs) That sounds like a restaurant. Yeah.
2: (laughs) (laughs) The big start to what was then initially called colorblind casting was under Joseph Papp in the 1950s, because he specifically thought that Shakespeare, if it was going to be for everyone, should look and sound... Like everyone. Even that was radical to start, but Pap took things further. I think he had a change of heart and, and started having color-conscious casting, where right. you weren't just supposed to ignore the fact that a character was Black or whatever, but in fact, think about what that Black culture history brings to a new interpretation of the play.
3: And I want to ask you about, you know, there is certainly a kind of meaning that happens when a a role not traditionally reserved for say a black actor is then that person shows up on stage and and much of the meaning that kind of floods in is visual here though we have voices what do you think that does to change that that problem or that that friction
2: i love it so much and i think it's going to open a way another way for us to think about how we understand race and how we understand culture. Because Mm. what I love about the actors' voices, I love the fact that these actors sound so American and sound Black, sound Mm -hmm. like Black Americans. And it made the words clearer to me. It felt felt like I was (laughs) hearing the words in the most clear fashion imaginable.
1: And that's what we need right now in this climate more than anything is the talking and the listening. The listening. A lot of the talking has been happening, but the listening has to happen.
3: That's Miriam A. Hyman, Bolingbrook, in our play. But you might know her from the show The Shy. She's also a musician. She started writing music in 2013 when she just graduated from drama school and was in a different Shakespeare production.
1: Basically, it kind of was like from the Bard to the bars, you know.
3: For Miriam, it all starts with the language.
1: And I I think that's typical for me when it comes to Shakespeare. I'm like, ooh, don't cut anything. It's all so juicy. (laughs) No, I'm fighting for lines. (laughs) I mean, I can just read this and speak this for days. It's just the specificity is what I just have to keep going back to. And the repetition, I feel like, makes it even more honest because you're asking, like, how, 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 why, why, why?
3: Mm-hmm. you know, I love how Shakespeare will put out an I- something that's an idea, and then immediately in repeating it, then create an image, like create this big analogy, you I know, mean, and yeah, then come back definitely. to the idea, yeah, definitely.
1: And it's also the repetition of if one character says a line, then how the other character picks that up, you know, and moves forward, you know. York says to me, even in condition of the worst degree and gross rebellion and detested treason, thou art a banished man and here art come before the expiration of thy time in braving arms against thy sovereign. And my response is, as I was banished, I was banished Hereford. But as I come, I come for Lancaster. Mm-hmm. So it, it just, just in those few lines, we hear banished three times. We hear I about four times. We hear come twice. You know, like, it's just... Yeah. But you have to repeat yourself when people aren't listening. You understand? Yeah. Come on, Vincent. Come on. It's
3: like, Shakespeare's the original, but you don't hear me, though. B-
1: come on. <laughs> now we're gonna have to start spitting bars. Wait yeah, yeah. a minute. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. So,
3: moving forward then to this production, hmm what was your just if your initial impression of Bolingbroke specifically
1: well, it was interesting because initially when we thought we were going to be doing the play, it was like i want to say pre corona yeah, and so what th- what the play meant for me then was very different than what the play means for me now, right you know post george floyd post Brianna Taylor, you know Bolingbroke, and specifically, I feel like somewhat akin to George Floyd in the sense that everything that I have has been taken away from me. Mm-hmm. I've been banished. I've been wronged. I'm not in a position to really fight for myself or have attorneys, you know, to support me, my seigneuries, my land. Everything has been stripped of me. My father has been, you know, died, basically. And he died because I was banished. And there's one line that I have right before I'm about to have a fight with Mowbray. And I mm-hmm. say... Mine innocence and Saint George to thrive. And so I'm like, wow, he's this is like a a prayer, you know, right. something that he's shouting prior to him going into battle, you know. And so for the name to be Saint George, I just was like, whoa. Yeah. And I was in rehearsal, you know, and I said, Did anybody catch that? And they're like, What do you mean? You know? <laughs> <laughs> And I said, mine, Innocence in St. George to Thrive. You know, fast forward, my EP drops. It's called Alter Ego. And I have a song on that EP, which is a bonus track, called Brother George. Mm -hmm. And so you hear within the hook some similarities to that, um, specific line. I just feel like there were so many similarities, you know, to just kind of like what's being, what's going on, us being stripped, us demanding to be, you know, demanding equality, you know, demanding to be seen. We are not the invisible man, or we will not be treated as such,
3: you know? you know? we talk a lot about how casting multiculturally changes the meanings of certain texts, but we talk, I think, less about casting across sex or gender. Did your, did playing Bolinbrook and being a woman change the way that you then thought about this person? No. Hmm.
1: Because black women are the most disrespected individuals in the country. So if anything, it just made me feel even more disrespected, even more stripped away um, Hmm. from, I want to (laughs) say, my birthright, you know, Hmm. which is free inheritance, you know, to be free, you know, to be able to explore and expand to my heart's desire. But yeah, so I just felt even more in touch with it, I think. Um, that makes sense. Yeah, so that, in combination with what is going on within our country, I was just, I was uber-fueled.
3: Miriam A. Hyman, Bolingbrook to us. You'll hear more from her all week. Tomorrow night on Richard II. No, we do debase ourselves, on oh Merle, do we not? To look so poorly and to speak
0: so fair. Shall we call back Northumberland and send defiance to the
3: traitor and so die? No, my good lord. This is Free Shakespeare on the Radio, from WNYC in collaboration with the Public Theater. This production of Richard II was directed by Saheem Ali. You can find a full list of credits, plus the script and a podcast version of this series at wnyc.org Shakespeare. I'm Vincent Cunningham. Thank you for listening.